and welcome to Together in Christ, the radio ministry of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. We would love to have you join us for worship today. Our Bible studies begin at 9 a.m. for all ages, followed by a service at 10.30 a.m., and then our evening discipleship service at 6.30 p.m. We are located at 14260 South Dixie Highway in Monroe, Michigan. Our phone number is 734-241-6860. You can also find more on our website, www.mmbconline.org. Here is a message from our senior pastor, Tim Icoangeli. But Ruth chapter 3 is where we find ourselves today as we continue on in the book of, in the book of Ruth. And we're just going to dive right into it. I hope you remember uh, Ruth chapter 1 and Ruth chapter 2. Last week what we saw in Ruth chapter 2 was uh, Ruth went out to find food to glean in the field. She ended up in the field of a man named Boaz. And Boaz treated her very well. Uh, Boaz showed her great kindness, allowed her to glean in the field, but went far above that. Actually let her eat at his table, uh, told his workers to make sure that they would drop food for her to get, filled her bag up, did all kinds of things for her, really showed her a lot of mercy, uh, showed her a lot of grace in the situation. And so we saw that happening in, in Ruth chapter 2. But where we ended in Ruth chapter 2 was with Ruth going home, telling Naomi what happened, and Naomi uh, telling Ruth, all right, let's, let's just... Uh, Wait and kind of see what happens. Make sure you stay in Boaz's field. That's kind of where we ended. And so today we're going to dive into Ruth chapter 3. And so I want to read all of chapter 3 for us this morning. So follow along with me as we read Ruth chapter 3, the whole chapter. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, he, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. And he said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night 
And in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, do not go home empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. I want to look at this kind of how we've been looking at it. We're going to look at a plan that was set in action and then the plan being done, the result of it, and then we'll dive into what truths can we learn uh, from seeing this this morning. In verse 1 through 5, we get another picture of Naomi, which so far has not been the best picture. When we, when we study Naomi and, and know some decisions that her husband made that she led to, uh, the way that she kind of handled her daughter-in-laws in chapter 1 wasn't the best way either uh, that we saw. And now we get this plan that she has come up with in verse 1 through 5 to see to it that Ruth marries Boaz. And if you ask me, it's a very bad plan. And so I want to look at the plan a little bit to see why it's bad. Naomi does her best to play matchmaker, uh, to work her magic a little bit. Maybe some of you think you have this gift yourself. You've tried to do this before, trying to set some people up together. And maybe it's worked, maybe it's blown up in your face and now neither of them like you anymore. I don't know. But Naomi is doing her best to be matchmaker. And it's interesting because she knows that Boaz is a relative. If we look back to when she talked to her daughters-in-law before, she told them to stay in Moab because there is absolutely no hope for you when we go to Bethlehem. Now, this must have either been an oversight on her part or it was a bold-faced lie because she knows that Boaz is a relative and she knows the law, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And so she had to have known, Naomi had to have known this, that there actually was no hope in Israel. There was some hope there. According to the law of God, there was hope back home in Bethlehem. And now all of a sudden she starts to talk about it. This all of a sudden now she brings it up. I don't know if she had no faith in God before saying there's no way that that would happen. And now she sees some things starting to happen. And so she says, okay, God, maybe this is you in this. I'm going to push it along. I want to make it happen. And she knew that Ruth had a chance. And so it's interesting what she tells Ruth to do, is it not? What does she tell Ruth to do? Ruth, go pretty yourself up. Ruth, go, go clean yourself up. Go make sure that you look nice. Put perfume on yourself. And present yourself to this man. Now, I don't think this is a good strategy in finding a mate in this situation at all whatsoever. 
Uh, it's actually very bad. And what we see God do, though, in the midst of this is he takes a very bad plan that had good intentions behind it, and he does use it. But the problem is we cannot ha- make bad plans or immoral plans just because what we think will result in the end is a good thing. That is not a proper thing to do, and that is what Naomi is attempting to do here. Right? That is what she is trying to do. There is, there is nothing proper in the way she is going about this. Ruth, I want you to pretty yourself up. I want you to spray perfume on yourself. Boaz is out eating right now. He's at the threshing floor, but he's going off to dinner. He's eating, he's drinking, and at some point in the night, he's going to be merry. Now, you can interpret for yourself what you want in that, what that means, that he's going to be merry, all right? I don't want to dive into that today. But he te- Naomi tells Ruth, and this is what I want you to do. When he lays down, you just go lay by him. Just go lay down right by him. Uncover his feet and lay down by him. Now, there's multiple reasons why this is a dumb idea. Number one, Boaz is at the threshing floor, and there's a reason he's there. You know why he's there? Because robbers come in the night and try to steal your crops. And so Boaz is there protecting his crops. That's, that's the very first thing that he is doing. And so I don't know how you respond in the middle of night if somebody comes and wakes you up. But for me, it's normally not a present, pleasant situation, especially if I'm expecting to be robbed. If I'm expecting something to come, somebody to come and rob me, I'm probably not going to be too pleasant when you startle me awake at night. Uh, we, I experience this almost every night in my bed with my own wife, who will all of a sudden just wake up out of nowhere and ask, who's there? <laughs> me. It's just me. <laughs> There's nobody else here. And she is determined. There's somebody up. And she just stares in one direction for a long time until slowly she fades back asleep. And it's a freaky situation. To the point to where I get frustrated with her. Stop it. I'm going to hit you one of these times because you're scaring me half to death. And we sleep in the same bed all the time. So now Naomi is telling Ruth, just go lay by this guy. Not, not smart in that, in that instance. The second reason why it's not smart is because she told Ruth to get all prettied up, to smell all good, and now Boaz is going to wake up and find a very beautiful woman lying next to him. Now that puts Ruth in a tough situation because sexual immorality is not something that we just face today. It's something that they faced then as well, and so no doubt Boaz knew Ruth was a good-looking woman knew a lot of good things about Ruth. And so there had to be a time that crossed his mind. Well, there's, she's laying here. There must be a reason she's laying here. See, Naomi put Ruth in a bad spot. Now her intentions were that Boaz would marry her and they would be taken care of. But she used a very bad plan to get here. She used a horrible plan to get in this situation. It seems as if Naomi is like, you know what? I'm going to force God's hand here. Now, we all know what that's like, and we've tried to do that before. Maybe as parents, you're already picking out the mate for your children, right? And you're saying, well, what about them? You're trying to steer them in the right direction. I I think every good parent does that at, at some point in time. My own parents did that to me. Oh, what about so and so? Shut up, Dad. That is not happening. Absolutely not happening. 
In fact, if I'm really honest, I think he was on the search team that brought Pastor Roy here and he came to me after some meeting and was like, well, you know, we might call this Pastor Roy. He has a daughter. And I'm like, absolutely not. I've seen her before. That is not happening. I said, not happening. God works in crazy ways, don't he? I mean, it happened. It happened. I was just blinded, I guess, at first. But we do that. We push and we nudge and we try to We try to force God into situations saying, God, I'm going to force your hand here. And that's what Naomi is doing. He's, he's, she's trying to force God's hand in this situation. And what she's trying to force is something called a leveret marriage. I really want to encourage you to know your old Testament and to know the things that are taught in the old Testament and with Israel, because it is so important to us as we study the new Testament to really understand what's happening when it comes to Christ. But in a Leverite marriage, what, what, what it was, was God said, if, if I marry somebody and this lady and I die and I do not have any, any male children, then it falls to the responsibility of my brother to marry my wife and to have a child, to have a boy, so that my name can live on so that my lineage can live on. You see, in Israel, lineage was very important. That's why all throughout scripture we have, and so-and-so begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so, and we skip through those passages. There's a reason for that. It's because name was important. The other thing that was so important with Israel, and God established this, was land. So land and name was important. And so what God set up is he said, this is what you will do for your brother who has died. You will marry his wife, you will have a child, and it will not be your child, it will be your brother who died's child. And when they get of age, they will inherit all of the property. They will inherit all of the land so that it stays within the bloodline, so it stays within the family. Now, we only see this happen three times in Scripture, and Ruth is one of them. The passage that we're looking at is one of them. And here's, here's the reason why. This was not something that God forced on people. He gave them a decision. And it said, you don't have to do this, but you are urged to do this greatly. And so much so, and we'll see this in the next chapter, but when someone would choose not to do it, they would have a weird custom of taking their sandal off, saying, I'm not doing this, and then they would get spit in their face. And the reason for that was, you are disgracing your family's name by not being willing to do this. By not being willing to be a redeemer in this situation, you are disgracing your family. Are you willing to live this the rest of your life? And they would say yes, or they would say no. And so we only see this happen, like I said, three times in scripture. <clears throat> As we get to verse six through 18, we see Ruth goes through with the plan And an interesting thing is said in verse 11, Boaz, when talking to Ruth, says, Ruth, everybody knows that you're a virtuous woman. Everybody knows that you're a virtuous woman. Here she's seeking marriage from Boaz. She's appealing to the law. She's telling him what, uh, need, what should happen, what can be done. And he responds by saying, you know, you are a, a virtuous woman. Even with everything that she has done, right? Laying down at his feet, all these different things. He is responding saying, everybody knows who you are. And this is an interesting little passage. And the reason for that is in the Hebrew Bible, Ruth actually comes after the book of Proverbs. 
And now if you've ever read Proverbs, you'll know that in chapter 31 of Proverbs, which is the last chapter of Proverbs, it talks about what is a virtuous wife. And so if a good Israeli person is reading their scriptures and they're reading the book of Proverbs and they read at the very end, this is what a virtuous woman is. They then go right into the book of Ruth. And when Boaz says something like this, Ruth, you are a virtuous woman. They know exactly what is being said. They know exactly what Proverbs 31 says about being a virtuous woman. And if you would go home and read Proverbs 31, you're going to see that it's absolutely true. Ruth is the definition of what it means to be virtuous. In this situation, she laid by him. She didn't throw herself at him. She didn't offer anything else other than saying, uh, because of Leverite marriage, you're our relative. Uh, will you marry me? I mean, that's what she's doing here. She sought God's will, not her own. And Boaz brings this out, doesn't he? I think it's in uh, verse 10. I think it's in verse 10, yeah, where he says, uh, you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. It's interesting, Boaz here is saying, I can't believe you would come to me. She's going to him saying, I really hope you'll do something like this for me. And he's saying, I can't believe she would even come to me. You could have had anybody in our town and you're, you're choosing me. But again, it shows her willingness to obey the law, to follow God's will and not her own. But we also see within this action the morality of Boaz. Because again, I, I don't want to get too uh, R-rated or anything like that, but imagine being in Boaz's situation here, gentlemen. I mean, honestly, you have this girl who obviously has caught Boaz's eye and you're woke up in the middle of the night, you're confused as can be as what is going on, uh, what is happening here, and all of a sudden you get this whiff and it's like, man, that's not the normal smell of the, the threshing floor. Oh, there's a, she's here, Ruth is here with me. And so I would have to just think and believe that that had to have crossed Boaz's mind of what could transpire next. But instead we see his character come through. Because of his devotion to the Lord, he thinks of Ruth before himself. Right? He, he worries about her, not, not himself at all. He's worried about her well-being. He's, he's worried about her care, which I think husbands, if we're honest, that's something that we should do more of to our wife. Think more about their well-being. Think more about caring for them in all situations. Also, we see that he obeys the law. He obviously likes Ruth. And he could have said, yep, absolutely, it will be done tomorrow. But instead, he says what we do not want to hear as readers of this passage there's somebody who's a closer relative than myself. No, imagine that. Imagine that. You like a girl, you're starting to fall for her, and you find out she's fallen for you, and she wants to be with you, and she comes to you, and your response is, yeah, but my best friend likes you a little more. You wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Absolutely, I would not do that. I would go to my best friend and say, guess what just happened? You lost, I won. <laughs> I mean, that would be my response. Nobody at this point knows Ruth is here, and so this could have been done. This could have happened, but no, because of his integrity, he says, according to the law, I'm not the first in line, somebody else is. 
So we need to approach him. And we don't know how that situation unfolds at this point. Uh, That's what we'll talk about more in chapter four. But it's interesting how he thinks through the situation. He thinks through the whole situation. He's very discreet in what happens. He tells Ruth, lie down here. Again, he's protecting her. He's protecting the law of the Lord, and he's also protecting his integrity here. He knows that if Ruth is seen running out of the threshing floor at this moment, rumor mill is going to run rampant. So he says, stay here. She stays there till early in the morning. Get up before anybody else is going to get up. He gives her some food to go home and make sure that she gets out without anybody noticing what's going on because he doesn't want the virtuous woman, Ruth, her name to start being slandered. Because he knows the truth that happened. Nothing happened. God's word was upheld perfectly. And so we see great integrity in this man, Boaz. And so what we're starting to be introduced to here is that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. Now, in this marriage that I talked about for the Leverite marriage, there has to be a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. And so it, that word simply means relative, a relative redeemer. And that's what Boaz is being set up for here. And by doing this, it is going to cost Boaz greatly. It's not something of just, hey, he got a beautiful wife. Congratulations. Way to really struggle through it. It's not that type of situation. It's going to cost him greatly to do that because in order to be a kinsman redeemer, there were, there were three ways this was set up in the Old Testament. Again, this is why it's important. Number one, it was your job to redeem property. So it costs you money. You didn't just get the land, you had to purchase the land. And so if Elimelech has any land at all in Bethlehem that was still to Naomi or whatever, Boaz would have to purchase it. It would cost him money. Number two, he's redeeming people, a redeemer of persons we see in the Old Testament. Ruth is not on her own here. That's not the only woman he's going to have to redeem and take in. He also gets old, bitter Naomi, who's going to be in his home. So it's not the perfect situation that he's facing. And so it isn't something that you just do randomly. It's something that needs to be thought through. And he's thinking through this. The last form of redemption that we see in the Old Testament, it doesn't happen here, but is the revenger of blood. You killed my brother. I'm the redeemer. I kill you. And we see that in the Old Testament as well. This isn't happening here with Boaz at all, but that is another one that I just wanted to make mention of. And so Boaz must pay for land. He must take care of Ruth and Naomi. And on top of that, he has to marry Ruth, who, please don't forget, is a foreigner. She's a foreign woman who very clearly, again, in scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse three through six, it says, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethora of Mesopotamia to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam and said, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you you shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all the days of your life. And so when we read that passage, then one of the questions that we must ask ourselves is, is Boaz then disobeying scripture here? Because he's gonna 
say, yeah, I'll marry you. She's a Moabite woman. Is he now disobeying scripture? Has this integrity of Boaz been a lie all along? Well, if you read Isaiah 56, verse one through eight, which I'm going to do for you, we'll find out he's not. It says, thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. And then this is it. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and who holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him beside those already gathered. You see, in that passage in Isaiah, we see the promise of the fact that you and I even get to be gathered into the house of the Lord. Those who are not blood of Israel. And he gathers the Gentiles. And so even in the Old Testament, we see this promise reigning true that this would happen. And so Boaz is even going to marry a foreign woman. And then after buying all this land, if he does have a child, he loses all the land to the child. So there's really not much in this for Boaz. So what do we learn as we look at this passage, as we study this passage together? Well, I think there's a couple things real briefly. First of all, I hope what you understand and what I need to understand also is as we read the story of Ruth, Ruth represents us here. We see a picture of ourselves when we see Ruth and really understand who Ruth is. And I want you to hear this this morning because it goes very contrary to the world, to what the world tells us about ourselves. When we see Ruth, we see somebody who's broken. We've seen somebody throughout all of this book so far. She's absolutely hopeless. She's a foreigner in the land. She has no home anywhere. She has absolutely nothing to offer anybody except her debt. That's it. It's not a situation where if you join to Ruth, you get all this blessing. No, you inherit her debt that you have to pay for, for her. And so in this situation, this is us. The Bible speaks of us as human beings, as sinners, lost and separated from God in the bondage of sin, without hope, without the ability to do anything good. The Bible says none can do good. It goes so far as to say when you do something good to God, it's filthy rags. It's nothing. You're parading around like, oh, look at this good thing I did. And God's saying, what? That's not good. 
You see, we find ourselves just like Ruth. And we, we have to get to this point in, in our life to understand how lost we truly are. And you must know, Christian, today, if, if you've ever shared the gospel with someone, how hard it is to show them how lost they are because our world does not think they're lost. So much so that it's infiltrating our churches. I mean, it breaks my heart, but when I, when I click on a pastor and I'm like, I want to listen to this message, and one of the first words out of his mouth is, I want you to know today that you are enough. How absolutely unbiblical that is. You are not enough. That is what scripture speaks to. You are nothing. You can do nothing on your own. You are like Ruth, just hoping that you can glean in the field. You are like that woman that we talked about last week who goes to Jesus and says, can I have some food? And the answer is, no, I didn't come for you. I came for Israel. And her response was what? Even the dogs get some crumbs. Well, why would she say that? Because she understood her position. She understood her position. And because her faith came out and saying, I know I'm, I'm just a dog even, but don't the dogs get something? And Jesus says, you know what? Your faith has made you whole. You're now mine. But she had to get to that point to where she understood it. And, and, and what breaks my heart in churches all around, even in our own town, I've, I've heard it. It's messages of how good you are, of how much you can accomplish, of how much you can do. I'm here to tell you the Bible says the exact opposite. You can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. But the good news about the Bible is it doesn't end there. And it doesn't leave us there. Because in Ruth, there's a man named Boaz. And Boaz represents for us our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. That's the picture that we have here. That's what it is pointing to. And so we have a picture here of, of Jesus. Boaz says, I am willing to pay the price for you, Ruth. I am willing to marry you. Ruth, I'm willing to give you an inheritance. <laughs> Man, that just mirrors the New Testament perfectly. When we as sinners, when we as sinners realize this hopeless situation, there is one man named Jesus who is there to solve our issues and solve our problems. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 12, it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. This is what Boaz paints for us of what was to come that we have the privilege of living in. When a sinner will finally fall on their face like Ruth at the feet of their Redeemer and say, I have nothing. Will you please take me under your wing? That's the wordage that Ruth used to Boaz. Will you please take me under your wing? No hope, don't know what he's gonna say, but willing to sacrifice, to lay themselves down, please, by any means, would you marry me? We have the promise in Scripture that when a sinner falls on their face at the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we say, Jesus, I am nothing, but will you, will you please marry me? The answer is absolutely yes. 
There's a reason that the relationship of Jesus to his church is marriage. There's a point behind that. There's a, a, a reason behind that. And it's to connect all these things. When we are saved by the grace of God, we become the bride of Christ. We become part of the bride of Christ. And he is our groom. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He is the one who has loved us, who has given us value, who has, who has given us worth, who has made us worth anything whatsoever. So that's why I get frustrated hearing these messages from other pastors, because it's never connected to that. Are you enough? Yes, because of Jesus. That's the only reason is because of Jesus. He makes you enough. If this happens, what we're reading in Ruth, which we know it does, if you've read any more of Ruth, Ruth becomes very wealthy. Ruth gets put in an awesome situation. God's grace is just poured out on her extravagantly. But when we read the story, we have to understand and know there is only one hero in the story, and it's not Ruth, it's Boaz. Because Boaz could have said, nah. And we're gonna see somebody do that in the next chapter. The closer relative says yes, but when he learns, oh wait, there's Naomi. Oh wait, no, no, I'm out. I'm not doing that. See, Boaz could do that, but no, Boaz steps up as the hero of the story and says, even though you are worthless, I will redeem you. You see, that's what Jesus does for us. We fall at his feet as filthy rags. Jesus, I don't have anything to give you. I don't have anything to give you. But Jesus, I need you. I need to be part of your family. I, there is no hope outside of you. I know that. And what Jesus says in return is, I love you. And you have more worth than anything else in this world now because my blood covers you. When my father sees you, he doesn't see you in your sin anymore. He now sees my righteousness that I have bestowed upon you. And now you are righteous. And now you have the power of the Holy Spirit. And now you can achieve things, not for yourself and for your glory, but you can achieve things for my kingdom. You can achieve things that honor me and that glorify me. And you will find joy in your heart when you serve after these things. You'll find peace in your heart when you live this way. I was just talking to somebody this morning and their battle addiction. And he said, you know, I heard this yesterday, surrender to win. He said, and it makes sense. And we, we talked about it. I just sat there nodding and I'm like, exactly. That is what scripture teaches. The only way we can ever win in this world is when we finally say, Jesus, I surrender everything. But the scary thing is, I think a lot of us who carry around the label of Christianity are not willing to say that. We're not actually willing to live our life like that. We say, Jesus, I absolutely want eternal life. Jesus, I 100% want you to forgive me of my sins. God, Jesus, I want to have joy. I want to have peace. I, wanna, I want to be enough. I want to be able to conquer these things. I want to be more than a conqueror. We can go on. I, yes, I want those things, but Jesus, this part of my life I really like. I really want to stay in Monroe. I really want to keep my job. I really want to continue to hang out with these friends. These activities that I do, I really want to keep doing them. This TV show gets nine out of eight out of 10. 
on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, I got to watch that show. Everybody's saying something about it. Jesus, you'll understand. See, the Bible says, surrender it all. When Ruth laid at the feet of Boaz, she, it was everything. It was her last chance. She knew it. My only hope, Boaz, is, is you, and I'm yours. I will be your wife. I will submit to you for the rest of my life. And that is what we must do. And so some of us this morning, I, I have no doubt, you're here and you are a sinner. You're lost in your sin and you've been lost in it for a long time. And maybe God is getting to you to that point to where it says in the Psalms, you're, you're becoming contrite, which is you're, you're crushed for your sins to the point to where you're like, I don't know what else to do. I've tried everything to make myself happy. I've tried education. I've tried drinks. I've tried friends. I've tried women. I've tried all kinds of things. Maybe you're at the point now to where you're willing to lay your life down and say, Jesus, I'm yours. And I can promise you with open arms, Jesus will say, I'll marry you. You're mine. I love you. Some of us, though, maybe as Christians, we remember a time when we did that, right? We remember a time when we did that, and we, we know that we've been saved by the grace of God, but yet we've tried to take some parts of our lives back. You see, every day of our walk with the Lord is us renewing this vow. Now, I'm not saying you lose God's grace, because I don't, I don't believe that at all. I just read that in Hebrews. Eternal redemption, forever. But every day, it's a recommitment. God, today I lay my life down to you again. God, today I'm gonna lay my life down to you again, whatever it is. And a lot of times what God says is, well, you're gonna go to work again today. You're gonna come home and you're gonna spend time with your family and you're gonna go to bed and you're gonna do it again tomorrow. But you're gonna do it for my glory. You're gonna do it for my honor. You're gonna do it to please me, your father. And so I don't know what maybe you've been struggling through as a Christian or, or, or what that is that you've been holding on to that you've just been saying, God, I want more of this back. But maybe this morning you just need to surrender that and lay down like, like Ruth to Boaz and say, God, forgive me of this. Break me of this. Break me of this habit. You know, a continual prayer for us as Christians, it's not a prayer of power. It's not a prayer of, of might. It's not a prayer, to be honest, I think that we have a strong desire to pray, but it's a very biblical prayer. And it's simply, God, continue to break me of my sin. But God, as you break me of my sin, remind me that I'm found in your grace, not in my efforts. So that's a hard, that's a hard prayer. Because as we pray that, I've found in my life, God continually shows me sin in my life. Constantly, pride, all those things all those things that we deal with. But we serve a good father who loves us, who says, bring me those things. I love you. I, I married you. You're mine forever. I don't know if you know that marriage is supposed to be forever. You're mine forever. No matter what, you're my child. If this broadcast has affected your life today, or if you have any questions about anything that you've heard, please feel free to write us at info at mmbconline.org or like and comment on our Facebook page. This has been Together in Christ, the radio ministry of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. Have a blessed day.